You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's such a joy for me to be here. Yes, I love to smoke meat in my backyard for hours. (laughs) That's great for you to know this morning. (laughs) So glad to be with you, church, with my my family this weekend. Uh, This church is really my second home. So when I arrived here uh, this morning, it really feels like home. We've been here for a whole year, and you guys have been supporting us and loving us and encouraging us in and, and so many ways for years now. And because of that, I'm so, so thankful for this church. So on behalf of Iglesia Docs, I just want to say thank you to all the members of this beautiful church. Thank you so much for your support, for your prayers, and for your love for us. It is so meaningful. And it's such a grace also to to have this relationship with your elders. Uh, Your elders have been my friends and uh, mentor in some way and uh, and just continue to to pray for me and be there for me in in, in crazy moments of these past few years. And I love them very dearly. They are so precious to me. And it's such a joy for a church like this to have faithful elders, men that are walking humbly, before God. I say that from my heart. They did not pay me for saying that. It's really true. I love them very much. And this morning, I'm, I'm here to open up God's word with you in Luke 18. And uh, as you open your Bible in Luke 18, um, when Robbie asked me if there was any parable I would like to preach from through the summer series, I quickly said, Luke 18, prayer. You know, you will hear about a little update of our church at the end of this service, so stay tuned in. But the reason why I said Luke 18 is because, you know, the meaning of the parable is, uh, is, is super clear. So for me, it's easier. It's super clear. It's hard to get far from the true meaning of this passage since it's so clear. But the second thing is, why preach on prayer? Because have you seen our world lately? Are you living in the same world as me? Like, it's crazy out there. Good is called bad, bad is called good, and the confusion that is sweeping our country is so, so strong. And I'm thinking it's, it's so hard for us believers to stand firm in the faith in this confused world. Not more than two months ago, there was an exhibition, I think it's the best word, um, a person, biological male, get, got naked in the Museum of Civilization in Montreal, right beside where we planned the church. Under the name of liberty, you know, in front of kids, parents, children, families, trying to to have this message sent to all the people that that liberty is is that. Confusion is sweeping our country, just crazy, good is bad, bad is good, and it's hard to stand firm. And honestly, when I thought about preaching here and prayer, I'm thinking, you know, our kids don't stand a chance in this world if we are not on our face praying for them. Our churches don't stand a chance in this world if we are not praying faithfully to God to keep us and to move and to change lives and to change things. I truly believe that. If you're not a believer today just visiting this church, I want to tell you this morning that you really need to meet Jesus quickly and begin praying or you will just be sucked up and and flushed down the drain of confusion of our world and only wake up in hell. 
So I pray you meet the Lord through this message this morning. The truth is we cannot live for Christ in this world except if we live prayerful lives. I'm deeply convinced of that, and I pray you will be able to see that in that text also this morning. So I pray that because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to awaken believers to the necessity of prayer in order to live meaningful lives for Christ. Listen, if you are seeking your own fame, if you want to live for your own name and to see your name being lifted high, if you want to see the fruit of your own works and of your own wisdom and of your own strength, get as far as you can from prayer. But if you want to see the glory of God, if you want to see the fruit of His work and of His wisdom and of His strength, then the only thing that is super important, the only thing that is absolutely essential for us is to seek His face. The main idea of the text today that we will read in a few seconds is this. I will give myself to prayer faithfully. Because Jesus is calling us to seek him. And the only reasonable answer is to seek him and to pray faithfully. I will give myself to prayer faithfully. Why? First, because Jesus calls us to it in Luke 18, verse 1 to 8. But when we think about prayer, there are some obstacles, aren't they, in our lives that... that, that that is not letting us live this life of prayer. And I want to show you through this text three obstacles that are, that are there against our prayer life. And three things from that text that are absolutely necessary to living prayerful life. So I will read the text in Luke 18 verse 1 to 8 and then we'll pray together. Okay church? Luke 18 verse 1. And he talking about Jesus. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, we find faith on earth. As the Word of God, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you in humility. We come before you with uh, our needs. We come before you to hear your voice. Lord, we don't want to hear man's vision or man's dream or just a bunch of stories, but we want to hear your word. We want to hear your call. Please, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, make us hear your call to prayer. And through prayer, change our lives. Keep us firm, firmly in the faith, in the face of all the confusion of our world. Lord, I pray that you will talk to us this morning. I pray that you give us ear and you give us a heart to receive your word, as it is the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
I will give myself to prayer faithfully. First of all, I won't live a prayerful life until I understand my helpless state. I think it's the first thing that Jesus wants to show us through this parable. You know, it's a very easy parable. Look at verse 1. It's impossible to make a mistake on its meaning. Luke explains it right in the beginning. They ought always to pray and not lose heart. What will you leave with this morning? You ought always to pray and not lose heart. It's so clear. But here, there's some information that we don't have in the text. For example, the widow is coming with her needs in front of that judge. She asks him to render justice in her case. But we don't know her backstory. We don't know what exactly she's asking. And I believe the Lord is leaving that really open for us to be able to put ourselves in her shoes. We don't know what she's going on in her life. She's just crying out to that judge to make justice. She has a serious need. But in that way, we are able to come also because he didn't want to fix that, that simple prayer and that simple answer to, to the prayer of that woman. He says, all of you comes with your needs. What is your need this morning? What is the need you're coming with at church this morning? And what should you do with your need? Jesus is super intentional in his choice of the character in this story. First of all, he says she's a widow with a need, helpless and helplessly needy. I will not live a prayerful life until I understand my helpless state. First of all, because I'm super needy. Look, at, look on the screen here at these three images. The first one, you will probably recognize that. You probably remember where you were if you're old enough uh, when this happened, when the, the two towers of the World Trade Center were attacked and destroyed. September 11, 2001. You see the big crisis happen in the country and all the world, all the world's eyes were, uh, were looking at this event. And what they did, they, take, they took beams from the rest of the building and built a cross with it. And people were gathering together and praying for God to, to make a change in the country, to, to change things because people were afraid of a third world war. But if you remember correctly, you will remember that churches were crowded with people at that time. People were running to church, running to God to pray and ask him to do something in this situation. Big crisis Calling to God. Second picture, 80, earthquake, 2010. Some of you remember that? Earthquake in 2010. It was, it was super sad. Like uh, people were, were in the street, or their houses were destroyed. And I remember perfectly being sitting in my living room, looking at the TV set and seeing, as the journalist was talking about the damages in the country, you saw people with a guitar worshiping the Lord in the street. I don't know if you saw that, but people were calling out to God because of what was happening in their lives. Third picture, a little less dramatical, except if you're an NBA fan. NBA, April 2018, a game between the Golden State Warriors and Sacramento King and Patrick McCaw jumped for, uh, to, to try to score a basket and, and, and uh, Vince Carter was, just bumped him and McCaw fell on his back and he hurt himself and he needed to leave the court on, a, on a, a stretcher. But what happened at that game is that because of what happened, both teams joined arms together and began praying for this player that was hurt. Not as dramatical as the other, but still the same thing. You, know the, you notice the, the, the similarities between those three things? Crisis begets prayer. When something bad happened, that's when we are usually, uh, that's when we will bend the knee and call out to God. Isn't it? It, it's, it? At the same time, it's so beautiful, but at the same time, it's so sad. 
It's beautiful because for a short moment in time, God is remembered in the whole world. For a short moment in time, prayers begin to rise up. But it's super sad that God needs to send a crisis for us to remember that he is there and that we need him. Isn't it? Jesus here uses a widow because she was the perfect example of helplessness. Without a husband or a son to care for her at that time, she was poor. She had no way to provide for herself. And she was helpless. She would die in poverty. And that's why she keeps on coming to plead her cause before this judge. She understood she needed help and that she was not able to save herself from that situation. And that's the first thing to get here. Why Jesus took this widow in his example, in his parable. Because so often, the greatest obstacle to our prayers, listen to this, it's ourselves. So often, the greatest obstacle to our prayer is ourselves. As long as you don't understand that you are utterly helpless, you will not bend the knee before God. Listen, my lack of prayer is a sign that I don't get the gospel right. Super important. Our lack of prayer is a sign that I don't get the gospel right. What is the gospel? The gospel is the great, good, and powerful God, almighty God, who created heaven and earth, who created a paradise, the Garden of Eden, and placed man and woman at the center of it for them to enjoy his goodness. Yes, through creation, but also and mainly through a relationship with him. God placed them there, gave them everything they needed to be perfectly satisfied and fulfilled. But poor man listened to the voice of the devil, telling him, it was not enough. Telling him God is not fair with them because of all the great thing he gave them. One thing was not allowed to be touched. God is not fair because this one thing you cannot have. One thing that I believe God did not allow because he wanted men and women to know the powerful joy of obedience. But they listened to Satan and they sinned against God. And they became spiritually dead, separated from God, and were lost in their sin. That's the gospel. But the Lord chose to save many from the condemnation of sin, from the judgment of God, and from hell. How? By sending his only begotten son, God in the flesh. Jesus came and bare our punishment on him, on the cross. Jesus paid for us. He lived the righteous life that we were not able to live. He died the, the, dead, the, the death that we were not able to die. And he saved us. And three days later, he rose up again to life. And with him, everyone will believe in him. So that's you this morning. If you put your faith in Christ, you can be saved and have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Weak, poor, helpless sinners unable to save ourselves from our sin, unable to make us, ourselves pure and holy and worthy to stand before a righteous God. The gospel is, I am weak and I need help. You see that? So when we don't pray, the lack of prayer in our lives is because we don't understand the gospel right. Because you know sometimes we believe, yes, Jesus saved me. Yes, Jesus changed my life. Yes, Jesus made me to be born again. But then after that, it's all on my own. After that, I need to struggle and in my strength get to the finish line. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus from beginning to end. You do not start in helplessness and then continue in your own strength. 
You do not begin like conversion. Perseverance in the faith is only possible through Christ. We don't start in helplessness and persevere in our own strength. We need the Lord each and every second of our lives. Jesus said in himself in John 15, 5, and I believe in this church, you know that passage really well. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. I believe it's true. So in order to teach his disciples to always pray and never lose heart, Jesus takes a poor, helpless widow, put her in front of them, and said, you need to be like her, utterly helpless, and understand that you need help from above. Lack of prayers, misunderstanding the gospel of grace. Like Charles Spurgeon said, it's all of grace from beginning to end. So as long as you keep your hands on the wheel and believe you can make it on your own, you will not bend the knee and know the power of prayer. That's simple truth. As long as you think as you, think you can change your spouse with your own wisdom, you will not see the Lord change them. As long as you believe that with your own wisdom and methods, you can bring your kids to Christ, you will never know the power of throwing yourself to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. As long as you say, my will be done, you will never see the power of crying out, thy will be done. In fact, in C.S. Lewis's book, uh, The Great Divorce, if, if some of you have read it, uh, there's this character, George MacDonald, he, he's a real person, but in this book, he says this, there are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those whom God says in the end, thy will be done. What he means is that either you live your life as dependent toward God, you know he is the one source who can help you, or either you say, I don't need you, God. I will live my life on my own. I don't need you. I don't need your help. I will not cry out to you. And then what happened? The Lord in the end will say, thy will be done. You don't want me. You want to live apart from me. Then you will spend an eternity in hell separated from me. Thy will be done. Which one do you want to be? So the first thing we need to understand, we need to realize that we are super needy or we won't come to God. We need to understand our helpless state. Secondly, there's only one solution. When we think about prayer, we need to understand not only that we are helpless, helpless on our own, but that there's only one true source of help for us. Look at the text. There's only one solution. The second thing we learn about prayer through this widow is her persistency to come to this judge. Have you seen how the judge is described in the text? He is a bad judge. He doesn't care about man. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about justice. He is a really bad judge. But why is she always coming to this judge? Because she had no other solutions. She was helpless. She had no other hope. He is the judge of this region. He's the only one who can render justice in her case. So she keeps on coming. She keeps on begging. She keeps on asking. She keeps on praying. Because it's the only source that can truly help her. Again, for us, we won't live a prayerful life unless we understand that we truly have one source of true help. We are so quick in our life to try and find human solutions, aren't we? So fast to try the next thing and listen to so many voices. Podcasts, maybe. That claim that they can change our lives and so slow to come to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we think or ask. According to Ephesians 3.20. Self-help is truly helpless. It's like sticking a band-aid on a cancer. It won't do. We need to understand that God is the only one who can really change things in our lives. 
We are so often guilty of the sin of Israel in Jeremiah 2, verse 12 to 13. Look at, at the verse on the screen here. It's God who is talking through his prophets to his people. Be appalled, O heavens. He's talking to the angels with him. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. My people have committed two evil. They abandoned the fountain of living water. The God who created the whole universe, who, who is almighty, who can do absolutely everything. He is the source of our life. Every breath you take comes from him. And we abandon that to hewed out cisterns that can hold no water. Isn't that us so often? There's only one who can really change things. You know, what are the broken cisterns in your life right now? What are the things to which you are running so fast in your life? What are the things to which you are ro- running so fast instead of running to God? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's advisors. Maybe it's podcast again. Maybe it's great men and women of the world. You're seeking to seek their help. And, and I don't say that these things are all bad. But they are not God. We need to run to the only one who can really make a difference. Too often prayer is our last resort instead of our first cry for help. And one reason why we run to other things is our misunderstanding of God. Is that our, this is our second point here. Our misunderstanding of God. Jesus talks about that in this parable. We don't pray because we don't believe that God is good. Secondly, I won't live a prayerful life until I believe the goodness of God. In this text, it gives us two promises. He will give justice and he will do it without delay. God will render justice. See, the parable here is one of opposite. The widow really represents us. We are helpless. We need to cry out to God. We need to come to him. But the judge does not represent God. The judge is a bad judge. He is a very bad judge, in fact. And Jesus is using the bad judge to emphasize the goodness of God and the certainty of his answer to prayer. You see that? He's saying even if a very bad judge gives justice because of persistent prayer, how much more will the good and perfect and just judge give justice to his elect? You see the difference? Here you can say, okay, but what kind of justice? She's asking for justice, but will God give me justice every time I cry out to him? Maybe not your justice, but he will give justice. Maybe not your justice, but he will give true justice, divine justice, the only justice that we need because God is just. Too often we don't believe in the goodness of God and that's why we don't pray. We may see him as our earthly father or maybe as our boss. We think surely he will say no. So I will just not pray instead of receiving a no as an answer. Why bother Maybe sometimes we think, I have not been a very good Christian. I'm not doing my duty very well. So he will probably take more time answering the prayers of people that are living a good Christian life. But look at the text, brothers and sisters. Put your heads in the Bible. Read this text again and tell me how much of the answer to prayer rests on the goodness of the praying person. None. It doesn't rest on the goodness of the praying person. It rests on the goodness of God towards his elect. So now you'll say, okay, so he will always answer. He will always give justice to his elect. 
But my question is, how do I know if I'm one of his elect? Jesus is giving the answer in the text. Again, he's saying his elect are praying, crying to him day and night. Is that you? Is that you? Is elect or the one who, cry, who are crying out to him days and nights? Isn't that powerful to understand that one of the most powerful proof that you are belonging to Jesus Christ is your prayer life? Maybe some would say it's more scary than encouraging, but the truth is, his elect are crying out to him. They believe that God is good, that he answers prayer, and so they pray. You see that? When, when you say, I'm too bad to get an answer, you are still making this about yourself. And I'm still making this about myself too often. But we need to understand the relationship between the gospel of Jesus Christ and our relationship with God through him. Because the only reason why God is hearing our prayers is not because we're good or awesome or anything like that. It's because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Look at the passage on the screen. Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16. It's talking about the relationship between the gospel of Christ and our prayer life. He says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And here, let us then, you see that? The consequences of what Jesus has done. Jesus died for us on the cross he paid for our sin. He reconciled us to God and let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you understand that? It's not because we're good. It's because Jesus paid it all for us. That's the only reason. So don't, don't stop coming to God because you say, I, I didn't have a good Christian week. You never will. <laughs> it's all Jesus. From beginning to end, God will answer the prayer of his elect who are in Christ. Secondly, he will not delay. He will do justice, but secondly, he will not delay. He will answer fast. Now it's challenging. Who says that? Jesus said that. Here, unlike the bad judge who delays so long until he's afraid that the woman will give him a black eye. That's the literal translation of verse Five here when he says so that she will not beat me down in the Greek it's giving a black eye he's so afraid that at some point he bend and he says okay have, have, have it your way but God is not like that God is our loving father God is the one who will answer speedily to our prayer but God knows it's children God knows it was it what it's good for us so we can ask God to answer but God will not always necessarily give us what we ask or need. Like us with our children. You know, sometimes our children will ask us, can I eat candies for all three meals of the day? And we'll say, maybe not. I'll give you some, some salad and maybe, maybe some steak. Praise God for meat, right? <laughs> but I want to tell you this morning, God will not delay. Jesus says that in this parable. So do not lose heart, brother. Do not lose heart in your prayer for this, this kid of yours who is not walking with God. Keep praying. Do not lose heart, sister, for this marriage of yours who is crumbling and you don't know how you will do to keep, to keep this relationship going. Keep praying. Do not lose heart if you're confused and you don't know how you will face the next challenge in your life. Leave it to the Lord because he will answer. You know, here, 
we see, he says that he will not delay, but sometimes it feels like he delays, right? Sometimes it feels like it's not coming very fast or not at all. But God will answer, not in my time, but in his time. I remember in 2017, I was, I was still here before leaving for uh, church planting in Quebec. And I was sitting uh, in the back of this church at a picnic table. And I was reading my Bible, my Bible and I was doubting the Lord. I was in this situation where I thought, why is the Lord delaying? Where does he want me to be and serve and, and in, which, in, in which measure, in what way? I was not sure. And a woman walked by. If you're here this morning, praise God, I don't know your name, the color of your hair, nothing. But this woman walked by and she just stopped, looked at me and she said, read Habakkuk 2 verse 3. And she left. I have no idea. We didn't ask, how are you? No, nothing like that. But how fitting was that verse for my situation and for this, this text today? Look at the text here on the screen. It says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It's hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So you look at a text like this and you think, okay, but still, it seems like it delays sometimes. It, it seems slow sometimes. Yes, it's in the text. Sometimes it seems slow. What should you do? Stop praying? No. Keep trusting the Lord. Of course your faith is tested and our perseverance is needed when we don't see the fruit of our prayers or answer. But the Lord is good and he will answer always in his time. In his time and not mine. Why does it seem like he delays? Why does it seem slow? I don't know. Maybe for our faith to be strengthened. Maybe for our trust in Christ to be stronger. But he will answer. I love the lyrics of the song from Joseph Medlicott Scriven. Because I believe so often, because we don't believe in the goodness of God, we are losing so many blessings in our lives. How many blessings we forfeit because we don't believe that God is good. Look at the lyrics on the screen. It's a beautiful song. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptation? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weaknesses. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still a refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou would find a solace there. Amen, church. What blessings we often forfeit because we do not pray. What could happen if we only came to God with our prayer request? What would happen if we only believe in the goodness of God and in our helplessness? Here, Jesus is giving us four, uh, three rhetorical questions in the text. The first, he says, will he give justice? And the obvious answer is, yes, he will. The second one is, will he delay? And the obvious answer is, no, he won't. And the third rhetorical question, in my understanding of the text, is, will he find faith at his return? Look at verse 8. I tell you, we will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith 
on earth. We read that and we have a big question mark over our head. Luke gave us the meaning of the parable in advance. He told us that Jesus Christ tells this parable to make his disciple understand the centrality of prayer, the necessity of prayer. And Jesus here brings his return in the equation. He says, okay, it's fine. I'm teaching you that. But when I come back, will I find faith on earth? And many of us can think and say, what is Jesus saying here? Is he trying to make us doubt that when Jesus returns, there maybe will not have any Christian left on earth? I don't believe that's what he's teaching here. I believe Jesus is asking another rhetorical question. I believe, I believe that Jesus is calling us to answer yes to his question. I believe Jesus is saying, will there be any prayer warrior left when I come back? And our heart will say, yes, Lord, you will find me on my knees praying to you. His goal doesn't change from the beginning of the parable to the end. He wants to encourage them to pray, not discourage them. I believe here his question is, is, is a call, a call deep within our soul of each of us who has been born again through the Holy Spirit, who love the Lord. And the first thing that the Holy Spirit does in our heart when we are born again is to call out, Abba, Father. We pray. And he wants us to say, yes, Lord, find me praying. Look at the words for prayer in this text. Verse 1, he used the word pray. He gave them a parable in order for them to always pray. And at the end of the text, in verse 6, uh, verse 7, he says, Is it like who cry to him day and night? Prayer and crying out to God. When Jesus talks about our prayer life, he doesn't talk about a superficial, box-checking, heartless prayer. He's talking about a full-hearted, passionate, anguishing cry to the Lord in believing that he will answer our prayers. The last part talks about not losing heart. And I believe the greatest motivation for us to not lose heart in prayer is this desire in our heart to be found faithful when he returns. Is it that? Is it your desire? Do you long to hear the voice of your Savior saying, good and faithful servant, enter into the kingdom of God? If we would just turn to the Lord and receive the teaching of this passage, how things will change for our own lives, lives but our, for our families also, and for our churches and for our country. If we just take the Lord to his word, who give me a man or woman or a teenager or a kid who gives himself to prayer in his life. And watch out, church. Watch out, cold Christianity. Watch out, world and Satan. Watch out, confusion. You will see the kingdom of God and the glory of God come down in powerful ways. I truly believe that. I'm convinced of that. And that's why I'm standing in front of you today. Everything can happen there. So I'm closing with this. And then we pray together. I will give you a last image of what can happen when we truly do not lose heart in prayer. Okay, this, this image includes you and me. We are all in this together. I bring you back to August 26, 2019. Maybe you don't remember what you were doing that night. But August 26, 2019, four years ago. This is the core group that we were at Iglis Daxa. We were four people in a small church in Greenfield Park Baptist Church. They were lending their, their place with us, probably out of pity. <laughs> but we were there praying our hearts out to ask the Lord, please, Lord, build your church in this city. Please do it, Lord. 
We have nothing. It's so clear for me and everyone in the core group that this church doesn't exist because of a man. It's only God that did that. And we were praying on that night. And during our prayer time, I received a text message. You need to turn off your phone during prayer time, but I didn't that night. Praise God. I received a text message from a person from this church. A member of Hope Bible Church, Oakville, sent me a text message. And in that text message was you guys praying at the same time for us in Quebec. My brother Nathan Penny, Pastor Nathan Penny from this church, was praying in front of the church. And you said, Amen. You were all together praying for us. Thank you, Nathan. If you're here, I didn't ask your permission to show this video, but I know you're okay with it. You were praying. And I want to show you the prayer because I kept it. I'm a hoarder. And I will show you on the screen. It was so, listen to the prayer that Nathan is making here. Listen to the With prayer. The Holy Spirit, as we come before you right now to your throne, as your children in Jesus Christ, asking you to bring revival to Quebec. Yes. Bring revival to Quebec. So we are praying that this core group would be filled with the Spirit and would start to grow. And we'd see tens, and then we would see fifties, and we would see hundreds start to gather together. And the Spirit of God moving, and revival taking place, and people getting saved, and excitement and momentum building, and a wave of revival that, that shocks us, that comes out of Quebec and sweeps through all of Canada. Would you do that? Would you do that for your glory? God, God, this won't happen apart from you, so that's why we're here. That's why we pray. We need you. They need you. And, and there is no limit to what you can do. No limit. And so we ask you for big things, because we're praying to a big God who has infinite power and is for your glory. And this is why we're praying. We want your name to be exalted in the province of Quebec, sweeping right through this country. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Yes. Praise God for that. You see how biblical this prayer is? You prayed for us in 2019, four years ago. Four years ago. And you know what? He prays for 10 and, 10, and then 50 and then 100 people. A few weeks after that prayer, we were 10 people. 13 to be exact. Praise God, right? We were 13 people. The Lord answered. A little less than two years ago, we reached 50 people. A little less than two years ago. And I want to show you another video. Two weeks ago, of Eglise Doxa in Quebec. I took it because it's a little video we are doing to say thank you. So they will say thank you in French. Merci. You will hear that. You will see the church right now, two weeks ago. Look at that. We're so close to 100 people, so you cannot stop praying for us. You see that? The Lord answers prayer. We prayed together for this to happen. But listen to me. We prayed for this four years ago. It did not happen in a week. It did not happen in a year. It happened in a long period of time. But what I want to tell you is that what will have happened if we just lose heart in the process? What would have happened if we just gave up? Brothers and sisters, some of us need to deal with the Lord this morning. The Lord is faithful. Not in our time, in His perfect time to make us grow as disciples of Christ at the same time. So we'll close with prayer. 
I ask you, please, if you want, bow your head with me. Some of us need to talk to God right now. Some of us need to ask him to forget, to forgive our neglect of prayer in the last month. Some of us for years. We need to ask God to forgive us, to bring back this deep desire to call out to him and to believe in his goodness. You know, some of us have been praying for years for the same thing. Some of us have been praying and we don't see the fruit of what we are praying for. We don't see the answer to our prayer. But the Holy Spirit wants to strengthen you this morning. Wants to give you faith and encourage you to not give up. Please do not lose heart. Press on in prayer and you'll see the glory of God in ways you never imagined. Oh Lord, we come before you with our heart filled with hope. With our, our, our eyes fixed on you. Please, Lord, Lord, help us understand again this morning how weak we are. Not just to be saved, but to continue in faith. To stand firm in this world. And to continue to, to press on in prayer. To believe that you are good, that you are faithful, and you will answer to our prayers. In your way, in your time, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.